And so Peter, what he does now is gets a little more specific. He starts to plug this idea of hope and holiness into the funnel, and it starts to kind of filter down a little bit to talk more details. And we're going to start with one that is very prevalent today in our society, in our life, especially given the season that we've just come through and are currently in. But before we jump into verse 13 is where we're going to start today. I want to read the last two verses from last week, just to kind of, again, bring us into the context, bring us into the flow of what we're getting into. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2, but we're going to start in verse 11. And then today's passage and what we focus on is going to be verses 13 through 25. But let's read together, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Peter writing, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that's where we left off last week, right? Just kind of that, that general call to live honorable amongst others. No matter what, let your conduct speak to God's presence in your life. That no matter what is said or done against you or how people speak about you, you're holding yourself to the standard of God's word so that in the end, when they stand, anyone stands before God, ourselves included, all glory is given to God because of things that we've said and how we've lived our life. Amen. We pursue that idea of hope and holiness to bring honor to who God is. Let's continue on now and get a little more specific. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father God, our prayer this morning is that as we read these words, as we hear your heart for our lives and how we are to live in this world, Lord, that we truly take it to heart, that it would in, infect our minds and infect our hearts and our attitudes and our actions and how we respond and live in this world today. Father God, you've given us our life. 
you've given us these circumstances that we live in and, and walk through. And so, Lord, we need to be more and more dependent upon you each and every day. So, Father, speak now, Lord God, by your spirit, move in our hearts, draw us closer to yourself. Let us view these words in a way maybe that we never have before. So that, Lord God, our lives are ones that honor you and bring you glory in how we then live in this world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there is a particular theme this morning. And in the season that we've just come through in the election of our president and the election of our members of Congress and all the way down the line to the local level, if changes were made in, in your city, government, or whatever it might be, we're talking about our role and responsibility to those that are in authority over our lives. And I know with this conversation is going to come one particular thought. Your brain, if it's like mine, <laughs> it may go immediately to the presidency. And that's okay. That's not wrong. We're going to include that in our conversation this morning. But ultimately, what I want you thinking about is anyone that is in a position of authority and leadership over your life at any level, any level, from the White House on down to your house, this applies, and everywhere in between. And so where we start, though, is Peter is explaining that submission to every human institution is vital to our life in Christ. We're subject to and are to take a submissive role. Now, that's something that needs to be defined. And it, it may have been defined a lot over the years, and, and we're just going to do it again because, again, repetition is very good for us to understand what that means in how we view government, how we view authority and leadership in our life. What does it mean to submit to that leadership? What does it mean to take a submissive role? And if you take that term and, I, and define it specifically, it is to rank under or be subordinate to, to be obedient to. Now, it doesn't mean that that individual who is in charge over you has every right because you are to be submissive to them, to stomp on you and to disrespect you and to just drag you across and through the mud or whatever it might be. That is not a submissive role. It doesn't mean you just lay down and take whatever comes. It's not what it's defined as. If you've ever played athletics or sports, if you've ever had a coach, you as an athlete were submissive to that coach. You submitted yourself to their leadership to listen to them and how they were going to operate the team and how they were going to manage the team. If you are an employee at this point, you might have an employer, a boss, a supervisor, a superintendent, whatever their title is, you submit yourself to their leadership. You rank under them, not because you are unworthy, not because you are lowly, but because that's what the term means. You come under their leadership. God has created and ordained authority in his world from the top to the very bottom. And we need to be submissive to any individual that is placed in authority over our lives. And so here's how we break that down even more. 
It includes the federal government from our perspective, right? The federal government, the state government, you're smirking, the county government, city governments. Keep going. I know where our minds are right now. I know it. Trust me, I struggled with this study. This is extremely difficult. Why? Because we're conservative or we might be Republican and the Democrats are now in charge of the White House and Congress and, and everything. No, that is not why this is difficult for me. It's difficult when we are to be submissive to those who have a completely different philosophy than ours. It is difficult to rank under and be subordinate to those who are not going to recognize God, his standards or morals in how they rule or govern. It's difficult, is it not? Does that mean we do not submit ourselves to their authority? This is what's difficult. This is where we have to get our hearts, our minds under control. This is the word church. We have to get ourselves under control to what God's word says about who he has placed in authority over our life. Someone else once said, we need to do this, talking of submission. We need to do this. Not because these individuals are personally worthy of our submission necessarily, but for the Lord's sake. Because by submitting to them, we honor God by obeying his word. So in short, what does all that say? When God says be submissive to those in authority over your life, you do it because God said to do it. That kind of sound parental? Parents, have you ever said that to your children? Do this or do that. And they say, why? Or they give you a, hmm, I don't want to. Whatever it might be. Tell me why I have to do this or that. And what do you typically say when you're running short on patience? Do it because... I said so. Do it because I said so. So in short, the authority in our, in our life we submit to because why? God says so. But we can take it beyond that, right? This is why Paul would speak to this as well, to the Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted, placed in that position by God. Well, why would God place people in a position that are not going to honor him? Do you kind of wrap your mind around that? Do you try and unpack that at all? I'm sure you do. And so do I. Are we going to know all the answers as to why? When you think of the names that might come to mind throughout history that have ruled with an iron fist, without morals, with hatred and evil and vile towards anybody that has been under their authority. You can think of names throughout time. I'm not talking about today, throughout time. Why would God choose them to be in positions of authority? Why would he place those people in those positions? Because he has a plan. He has a will. And when he is outside of our time and we are outside of that understanding, that's what faith means. To trust and believe that God knows exactly what he's doing and has placed certain people in authority for certain reasons. 
that may be beyond our understanding, and we need to be okay with that. Why? Because God's Word says so. So there's a role in our submissiveness to those in authority, but there's also responsibility. Our role is to be submissive. Our role is to be obedient. But what's our responsibility? Scripture's very clear on that as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For all people. He goes on to say, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Your role is to be submissive. Your responsibility is to pray for those in leadership over you. So that what? You can lead a quiet, peaceful, godly life. Not because God is going to answer your prayers that all those individuals that you don't like or philosophies that you don't agree with fall in line with what you want. That is not what we pray for. We pray for their salvation if needed, but we pray for them because God has placed them there and that when we give up our dependency to God for those individuals and how they rule, we can then move forward in faith and trust and peace, knowing our faith and trust is in God because he's placed those individuals there and we just live our life in obedience, in submissiveness, and in prayer. That's really all that there is. We're, of course, going to talk more. I can't stop there. But that's basically what it is. When you really pause and think about it, that's your role, that's your responsibility. But we go on. We need to realize and keep before our eyes and our mind and our ears that all that we see going on, that God is the one that has placed those individuals in authority over our life for his will, his way, his purpose, his plan. And we need to be okay with that. If we say that we submit our lives to him, and then we honor God and bring him glory by how we respond to those in authority over our life. Verse 15 makes this very, very clear. A lot of people will ask, what is God's will for my life? Well, here's an answer. In black and white. Very clear. For this is the will of God. That what? You do good. That you do good. Jeremiah 15, 11 says, Surely I will set you free for the purposes of good. What good? The good of the Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or liberals? No. For the good to the glory of God. According to His word. But we have a conflict in this and how we live our life and what we are to do that's good. There's a conflict for us, and I'm going to explain this right now. There is a duplexity, a duality, a, a conflict of where we live and who we are in Christ today. We are set free by God's grace. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are free. We also live in a free society. In an American nation that has established itself upon freedom. So how do we bring those together? Or just to make you think a little bit and squirm politically, 
Should we bring those together? Our freedom in Christ and the freedom we have in our nation. Let's look at that. So spiritually, we're set free from sin by God's grace and mercy that we can not along with. Yes, we agree with that. We are spiritually free from having to do anything to earn his grace, his favor. We are set free from the grip of Satan's power and control over our life that we can not along with. Yes and amen. Praise God. We don't have to live that sinful life. We pursue holiness. We don't have to live in what was and who we were. Praise God for that. The whole concept of our freedom in Christ is based on that word, freedom. John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth, Jesus speaking, and the truth will set you free. You go down to John 8, verse 36. So if the Son, Jesus, has set you free, you will be free indeed. Free for what? Free to do what? Free from what? Have you answered those questions? He set you free from sin. He set you free for His glory. He set you free from the bondages of slavery to sin and eventually damnation and eternal hell. That's a powerful word and to which we should praise God for constantly. We are free in Christ. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free. Lay aside that weight. Lay aside that old life. All those old habits and sinful ways that God died on the cross for. They're gone. Moving down in verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So remember, you are set free from sin, not to sin. You don't get to live your life in freedom and then live however you want to live, especially in a free society because a lot of believers will take that stance. I'm free in Christ. I can ignore everything about American politics and way of life. I'm going to live my life and do what I want. Is that how we're to respond? This is the, the duality I was talking about. This is the conflict we have. Politically and culturally, we are free. Praise God. He has placed us in a time and in a country that is established on freedom. We are not under a tyrannical dictatorship. We don't live under rulers that dictate every aspect of our life and how we worship and what jobs we have and how much money we can have or not have or what we can do or not do. We don't live in tyranny. Nor do we live in absolute freedom. We live in a free society, yes. But do we understand what absolute freedom is? That's called anarchy. Absolute freedom says I can live however I want, do whatever I want, despite what the laws and the rules and the leaders say. We don't live under tyranny. We don't live under absolute freedom either. There are laws and rules that govern our land from the very top to the very bottom. 
to the distant, those that are 3,000 miles away in D.C., to those that are one mile away right here in Elsinore. And we have to abide by those laws and rules. We are bound to follow the rules. Just because we're free in Christ doesn't mean we get to ignore the laws of the land. One thing that came to mind in this concept, I was thinking about all that stuff that took place over the summertime. There were these autonomous zones that were being established in some of these major cities. They were called CHAZ, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zones. And basically within these areas, they said no police, no rules, no laws. We can live however we want to live. And if you watch the news, you know how that turned out. We are not a people that can live in absolute freedom. In fact, you know what the third demand was of some of these Chaz areas? That protesters would not be uh, arrested or fined or imprisoned for the crimes they commit because we're free. No, we're not a people that can handle absolute freedom. We need laws, we need rules, we need to be governed. In fact, I love this. It says, liberty misused is like a mighty river flooding its banks and bringing terrible destruction upon all in its path. That's what liberty does. It says, I don't need to follow the rules. I'm going to live how I want to live. That's destructive. But liberty used as a service is like a mighty river flowing within its banks, bringing life and refreshment to all who drink of its water. But therein lies a big question. We can be obedient, we can be submissive, yet the big question is, when is it okay to not follow the rules? Is there justification for what's called civil disobedience, according to God's word? And the answer is yes. So let's clarify that. When is it justified that any law, any declaration or requirement given that would require a follower of Jesus to deny or disobey God's word? Amen. You hear that? Any law, any mandate, any rule that would require a follower of Jesus Christ to deny or disobey God and his word. If you are mandated to deny God, if you are mandated by law to disobey God, then we as followers of Christ have every right because of the one who placed those in authority as higher than they to say, I will not obey. But we need to continue to pursue holiness. We need to continue to read the word of God so that it is very, very clear there is no ambiguity, no gray area, nothing at all, that when something like that occurs, it is very clear in our mind when we can cross over that line into civil disobedience. To do so under your own guise, your own wisdom, your own interpretation or what you think is right will inevitably lead to wrong. We have to rely on God's word. Have to. Let me give some examples from God's word. Well, I love the book of Daniel. 
And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, right in the very beginning, the Israelites are taken into captivity, brought into slavery. And they started to take away and remove any semblance of the God of Israel from their life. They had to adjust to the Babylonian way by religion or lack thereof, culture, language, education. They were completely made to shift their thinking away from the God of Israel to Nebuchadnezzar and the gods that they serve. And one of those little things was food. These young men were being trained up to be leaders in Babylon. And the king laid his food and his platter before them and said, Eat, be filled, have what you want. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a conscience towards God. What God had told them they could and could not have, even when it came to food. And they denied that food. Said, it is not right for us to eat that food. We will eat what we believe God wants us to eat. They still honored the king. They didn't fight. They didn't start a revolution. They just simply said, let us put that to the test. And because they held firm to their conscience and what they believed God had them do, according to his word and what he told them to do, God found favor in those young men and placed them in a position to rise through the ranks because they were proven correct. And the leadership saw that. Example number two. Nebuchadnezzar made himself a nice gold image. And at the sound of all the harps and trumpets and music and everything else, everybody, all the people, all the nations in that area were told to bow down to that image. You hear that? They were required by law to bow down to that image at the sound of the music. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, thank you. We bow to no one and nothing but our God. And that caused the leadership that day to become incensed, and they were thrown into the fire. If you remember the story, God saved them from the fire. But if you read Daniel chapter 3, and you read the words of those young men, it didn't, they didn't say, they didn't fight, they didn't clamor, they didn't argue. They just said, actually, if our God wills, he will save us from the fire. And if he doesn't, all glory to God. Do you hear those words? And the end of the story is, they were saved. God was with them in the fire. And as a result, God was honored. Nebuchadnezzar praised the God of these young men. Now, example number three, we go back to Daniel. Daniel rose through the ranks, worked very closely with the king, but he held to his faith, even though he was put in a position of leadership, so much so that he was going to be number two in all the land, over everybody, just underneath the king. But he held on to his faith, but the other people didn't like it. And they wanted to do something to find fault in this Daniel. 
So he said, he's such a, uh, an honoring man. He's such a, a good man, a responsible man. They couldn't find anything to hold against him because he was pursuing holiness and righteousness according to his God. And so they said, well, if we can't find anything wrong with him, then we're going to find fault with him and his God because that, they knew, didn't mesh with the Babylonian way. And so they created a law and they talked the king into writing and creating a law that says nobody can pray to any other God outside of the king and his gods. If anybody is found to be praying or worshiping any other God, they are to be thrown into the lion's den. And so Daniel, as he did, knew, I'm going to pray anyways. But he didn't fight. He didn't argue. He didn't revolt. He just did what he knew he needed to do. So three times a day, he would go to his house and he would get down on his knees and pray to his God. But he was entrapped. They knocked on the door. They found him praying. They told the king. The king threw him into the lion's den because the king was held by his own law and decree. Didn't want to be weak to the people to go against his own law. And so as we know the result, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The lion's mouths were closed. Daniel was saved. All glory to God. Amazing, amazing stories. Ones in which that we can walk away from. But again, we need to look at this from being set free in Christ to being and living in a free society. To date, there is no law on the books in fact, we are guaranteed by the constitution of our land that we can worship how we want to. There is religious freedom in America. And we're protected by that, so praise God. Until there comes a time when they say you cannot worship that way. When you cannot worship your God. Until that day, we are to remain submissive, obedient, and pray for those in leadership. There's a big difference between not obeying somebody because you don't like their politics versus not obeying because those laws go against the word of God. We need to separate that in our head. Well, I don't like their philosophy. I don't like what they believe. I don't like that side of the aisle. Therefore, I'm just going to ignore them, hate them, talk bad about them, completely disrespect them, and not adhere to anything that they say or do. That's wrong. Unless those laws or rules mandate or dictate that you cannot worship the God of our Bible, you are to be submissive, obedient, peaceful, honorable, and pray for our leaders. Period. Period. Now, the mandate of the day is churches are not allowed to gather indoors. And so I will say, I made the decision to reopen Refuge City Church to gather indoors. Because some of the words that our governor was using against the church to say that you cannot sing, you cannot worship. That's when I said, 
thanks, I hear you, but no thanks. Because the God of our Bible is very clear in how we are to live our life and worship him together as the church and we will lift up our voice and we will sing. Amen. We will gather together because the word of God says, do not forsake the gathering yes. together. So when the leadership says you cannot do this in regards to religion, I humbly disagree and we've opened our church. It's not because of fear, not because of disrespect. I still respect and honor our governor. I pray for our governor. I respect and I honor our president, our members of Congress. I pray for them. I respect and I honor the office of mayor and city council. But when they say that what we can or cannot do, according to the word of God, when that conflicts, I have to obey God and not man. It doesn't make it easy. I'm not throwing my fist in the air against them. I'm not revolting. I'm not clamoring. I'm not arguing. Just doing what God calls me to do. And that's what we do. Because when we look at verse 17, it says, honor everyone. Honor everyone. So the question is, can we rightly do this to those who are blatantly disobedient to God? Can we rightly honor everyone that doesn't want anything to do with God? Can we rightly honor somebody in authority over our life who has the ability to dictate what we do or don't do as a church when they don't stand upon his word? And the answer is yes, we can. We absolutely can honor them. We may not agree with them, but we honor the position that they're in because those individuals, regardless of who they are or what they believe, have been placed in that position by God. And so by honoring the position, we honor God because God is the one that placed them there. So we can honor everyone. One, because God tells us to do so. And two, we can show others respect even though they haven't earned ours. You hear me? We can show others respect even though they haven't earned ours. But this is why we got to come back to get our mind and our heart right and back to who God says we need to be. Get our mind and our heart under control with the emotions and the thoughts that we want to have and that we want to say and that we want to post. Because the moment we pop off and show disrespect, dishonor, and a non-submissive attitude to what God calls us to do, we destroy our witness for who Jesus Christ is. Church, I need you to hear that. The moment you sound off because you just don't like it, you destroy and hurt the witness we can have for Jesus Christ. Who are we supposed to be? Remember, when we do this, the world is not going to understand. When we show honor to those that disrespect what we believe, the world is not going to understand why we can still hold them in honor and respect. In fact, they're going to hate you for it. But Jesus told us that would happen. 
John chapter excuse me, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, we read the words of our Jesus. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So if we understand submission to those at the highest levels of government in our land, then we will understand what the rest of this passage is talking about. That we can then submit and operate under the authority of those immediately and directly over us. Not that the president or members of Congress are not. They are. But it seems a little far removed, doesn't it? 3,000 miles away, it doesn't feel as if they are directly immediately over us. But what about your governor? What about your county supervisors? What about your mayors? What about your boss, your supervisor, your employer? It goes on and on from there. This is why Peter would continue in verse 18 through 20 and call us servants. We are bond servants of Christ. We're connected to Christ and yet we serve regardless of our situation. He says, for us, this is to mean our relationship and our response to our employers, bosses, administrators, teachers for the children in the room. Your teachers you are to be submissive to. I don't like my teachers. They're mean to me. They pick on me. And those are the homeschool kids. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. But you hear that a lot. I don't like the way they are. Blah, 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 blah. Trust me, as a former administrator, principal, and teacher, I heard it. So parents, we need to bring our kids along in this mentality as well. Regardless of who they are, your teachers have been placed there by God to be an authority and leader over your life in what they've been called to do. Remember verse 17, honor everyone. Everyone. Ephesians 6, 5-8 through 8 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free, regardless of who is an authority of our life. We submit to them. We do good to them. We respond well to them and pray for them. 1 Timothy 6, 1 says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Did you hear what we said earlier? You are an ambassador, a witness, an example to Jesus Christ and his word. So how you respond in your role and responsibilities as a citizen or as an individual under authority, how you respond is going to be a witness and a testimony to the goodness of God. You don't want to be responsible for destroying that bridge that somebody can walk across because of how you responded and how you acted in society to be the one that could cross over and say, maybe there is something to this Jesus that I need to get to know about. 
because this person that I've been disgusting towards, that I've reviled, that I've hated, that I've just dug into the ground because of I'm authoritative, over, authoritative or, over their life and I can do whatever I want, yet they responded with joy. They responded with honor. They responded with respect. That no matter what I did to them or said to them, they still responded well. That is a witness and a testimony to Jesus Christ. Remember, he is our greatest example. Go back to his life. When he, at the end of his ministry, was brought to trial and persecuted and beat and spit on, did he fight back? No, he didn't. Did he argue his way out of his situation? No, he didn't. Did he talk about the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, 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 and Pilate and all the others behind their back and, and talk bad about them because of they were making bad decisions? No, he didn't. Because who was he submissive to? One, his heavenly father. And two, the leadership and authority of his day. Even though there was conflict of philosophy, he was still submissive to the leadership of Pilate and of the religious leaders of the day, wasn't he? But his father's will came first. Don't forget that Peter was an eyewitness to all this. And Peter would be brought to the fire himself, wouldn't he? In fact, he and John were, were preaching the name of Jesus and bringing to salvation so many people in their day after Jesus had ascended and they were on their apostolic mission to evangelize and bring the good news of the gospel to the world. And the high priests and the Pharisees didn't like it because they were still preaching in the name of Jesus. And they brought them to the forefront and said, you are not to preach in his name. They were being required not to do what God had called them to do. So what is the role? Civil disobedience. And I love what Peter says to the leadership in that day. Acts 4, verse 19, he says, they responded, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. God is at so much the forefront of my mind and my heart, I can't help but speak his name. So if you as religious leaders want to tell me I'm not allowed to speak his name, that's for you to talk to God about. But as for me, I'm going to mention the name of Jesus. And so not too long after that, they're actually put into prison. God releases them from prison, and they go right into the temple and start preaching the name of Jesus again. And they were right back in front of the leadership, and in a very short phrase, they question them again. Why are you doing what we told you not to do? And the simple phrase we already mentioned, but we'll say it again, Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than man. Our attitudes and our actions will give credence to our testimony and witness for Jesus Christ. So let me bring this to a close. Let's read verses 21 through 24 again. Verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, meaning his Father, our God Almighty. 
Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you don't have to live in hostility. By his wounds, you don't have to respond in anger. By his wounds that he did on the cross, you don't have to live in a way that brings dishonor and disrespect to those in authority over your life. Those are sins that need to be removed and have been nailed to the cross and should not be brought down because it might make you feel more comfortable to respond in hostility to your leadership than not. We need to remember who we represent. What Jesus went through on the cross eliminated our sin. We don't have to live in those ways, in hostility and anger, argumentative, condescending, or selfishness. Again, Jesus was mocked. He was called crazy. He was called the devil. But how did he respond? In peace. According to what he was called to do, according to God's word, that's who he was to be. Remember John 15, what Jesus would say, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. (laughs) So in one respect, we don't like that because that means the world's going to hate me if I stand for Jesus. I don't want to be hated. Who does? But it's a promise. I'm not just saying deal with it, but deal with it. By getting your nose in the word of God so that you can be built up and encouraged in the things of God and how you live your life. So that when the world hates you and reviles you and mocks you, calls you names because of what you stand for, you can call to remembrance they hated Jesus first. And I kind of want to be like Jesus more than the world. But Jesus would go on to say, remember this too, because you are not of this world. This is why Peter would call us exiles. Paul would call us ambassadors. We're strangers. We're aliens in this world. This is not our home. We are not of this world, but yet while we are in this world, we are to bring an example of Jesus Christ. We are to bring others to an understanding of who Jesus is and his word by the way that we live our life, by how we pursue our role in this country, how we go about our responsibility in responding to those in leadership over our life at any level. Again, his persecution and death served as an example of submission to authority. Remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse 8 gives us an understanding of Christ's role. That he was in glory. Christ is God. But yet he humbled himself. And when he came down in verse 8 it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That's our example. So when things are going on in society that we just don't like or agree with, you need to be obedient. You need to be submissive. You need to watch what you say. Control your thoughts. Because we are all an example of Jesus Christ to this world. You've heard that cliche saying, we are Jesus to the world. So we need to live like it. We need to speak like it. We need to respond and act like Jesus actually lives in our life. We need to respond and act like Jesus actually resides in us. And if there's any struggle in that area, 
then that's what we need to identify and do whatever is necessary to remove those things from our life so we live how Jesus wants us to live.